following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 140, aviation podcast pioneer, Kent Shook. Coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the podcast where we educate and inspire you to fly. Today, we have a special guest, Kent Shook. Kent is an aviation podcast pioneer and one of the original organizations, or organizer, as I should say, of Potapalooza at AirVenture. Easy for me to say. Kent was a very, has a really interesting, very technical background and also an aviation background, which helped him create a really popular podcast called the Pilot Cast Podcast. Joining us tonight on the podcast also are Rick Felty, Larry Overstreet, Tom Frick, and Victoria Newville. Folks, hello. How are you doing this evening? Hey. Hi, Carl. Hey. hey. Welcome from Wisconsin. Hello. <laughs> and Kent, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on here. Well, it's great to be in front of a microphone again. It's uh, been quite a while. Had yeah, to pull we... some things out of dusty old boxes <laughs> and uh, set it all up, but uh, feels like home. Yes, it does, and it sounds like home. And that unique voice of Kent Shook, uh, we, we've missed you and, and brought you out of hibernation and, and literally hibernation because I think you have, uh, what, about a foot of snow on the ground right, right now where you are? Yeah, something like that. It's been coming down something fierce today. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we were just discussing how long it's been. It's been, uh, gosh, about maybe uh, five years since you've podcasted last since. And, and we are really excited to have you on because uh, you truly were one of the podcast pioneers. Uh, before we get started, though, Kent and, and the rest of you, let's just go real quickly to our pre-flight checklist and our sponsors. Let's do the pre-flight. Sponsor this evening, of course, is AviationCareersPodcast.com. There's a new membership benefit. Uh, it's called Advanced Holding Patterns Video. And for only $10 a month or $100 for a yearly membership, you get to watch that video plus much more. That uh, membership which is only $10 a month. You can just purchase one month at $10. That's it. There's no contracts, et cetera. Uh, it includes the entire online directory of scholarships. And from that directory is how we actually produce and publish the scholarships guide. So that's the most up-to-date version. We also include the Practical Guide to Winter Flying, the Pilot Jobs Book online course, Flying Off Far Safely This Summer, and the Thunderstorms, Hazards, and Avoidance, plus more videos that we're going to have in the future. Find out more, go to Aviation Careers Podcast. Dot com. Uh, also, as far as announcements, uh, we have a, a bunch of people coming to Sun and Fun this year. We have the the cast at Stuck Mike Avcast is coming, and also some of the folks from Aviation Careers Podcast will be there. So everybody will be there. It's going to be a wonderful night. We're going to have a live recording of Stuck Mike Avcast. Uh, that's going to be April 4th through the 9th. Of course, it'll be the April 15th uh, episode of Stuck Mike Avcast. And you're probably wondering when we're going to have that. 
uh, live recording. We don't know yet, but we're trying to work that out. It's uh, it's going to be somewhere between the fourth and the ninth. We'll try to nail it down for you. We're all, you'll also be able to listen live. Uh, liveatc.net slash, uh, and I think it's going to be SNF, and uh, or you can just go to Lakeland, liveatc.net slash uh, LAL, the Lakeland Airport. Really uh, happy to have the folks from Live ATC back again to sponsor uh, Sun and Fun and Sun and Fun Radio and the connection there. Now entering cruise flight. Well, anyway, let's get on uh, with cruise flight here. Kent Shook is, like I said, an aviation podcast pioneer. He's also a, a super nice guy and somebody who is incredibly passionate about aviation. And, uh, you know, back in, in the beginning when they started Aviation Podcasts, it was, it was Kent that really came to the forefront and uh, had the technical prowess and also uh, the gumption, the guts, and was a little bit kooky, I think, about starting up a podcast. Kent, tell us a little bit about how that got started and how you became, I think, the number one, uh, the first podcast out there aviation-wise. I'm pretty sure of that, but you'd have to correct me if I'm wrong. No, there were a couple of them out there before I even knew what a podcast was. Um, and I actually was not the founder of the pilot cast. Uh, I didn't come in until episode four. Um, but yeah, I was uh, driving a truck at the time. And so I had lots of time to listen to audio. And, uh, I was also, and I, I still go there sometimes, uh, pilots of is a great online forum. And I saw these two guys, Mike and Dan talking about this new podcast version of iTunes. And I went, huh, what's that? And so I downloaded it and checked it out and went, Hey, there's a little bit of aviation content in here. Um, I think the true first one would have been Joe Dion. Uh, I actually can't remember the name of his show. Uh, he didn't have a whole lot of episodes, but they were high production quality. Uh, there were a few other aviation podcasts that were very short lived back in the day. And, uh, not so high on the production quality. So they didn't last that long and were kind of painful to listen to, except for it was aviation content. So, um, aviation beats all, right? Yeah, that's for sure. But from there, you decided that, uh, you could do something, uh, even better than that and came out with this podcast that really talked aviation and, and, and it was really terrific. It's, uh, something that, uh, you, you were able to produce on a, and it was very well done, but also we're able to continue to produce and come out with some pretty cool little videos, uh, and some amazing interviews, uh, that, and not being the first, you truly were a pioneer in that you brought a community together. I felt, uh, one of the first, as far as actually doing this on a consistent basis and professionally producing it. And also somebody who brought the passion to aviation to people, uh, in a very, very well put together content. And it was just awesome. I really, really enjoyed listening to that. But, but you, not only you went from this podcast that just talked aviation and, and talked about bringing uh, people into flying, but you brought in a few other their folks into the into that show into the fold and it seemed like you really took a kind of a leadership role there tell us a little bit about how and actually uh just kind of melded into the future and how it progressed and how it grew well for most of the history of the pilot cast there were three of us uh mike dan and myself uh like i mentioned i actually wasn't around until the fourth episode but mike and dan kind of got it started and um i offered some suggestions to them after hearing the first couple of episodes. And Mike said, well, hey, why don't you come on the show? And uh, that was that. So the three of us continued for quite a while. And then uh, Dan 
stopped flying for a while and Mike got really busy and didn't seem to have time for it. And so, uh, that's when I brought Bill and Tiffany on to keep it going. And, um, we probably put out another dozen episodes at least with the three of us. And, um, unfortunately, you know, life gets in the way. Uh, I really admire you guys who can put out a podcast on a regular basis. And, you know, especially, uh, guys like Jack Hodgson have been doing it for so long that it's, it's almost unbelievable because I know how much work it is. Um, and it's really hard. So kudos to you guys. Um, <laughs> well, hey, it's a lot of fun though. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. I have anyway, a quick sorry, question yeah. about, no, that's fine. About that. Uh, or those day, those early days. Cause, cause I, cause I remember, cause I was learning at the time. So I, re- I listened to everything I could get and you guys were one of the ones that I, you know, that were, that were out there and it was great. And was Bill learning? Did he get his license on the show? Like, was he training while on your show? Or had he already gotten it? I think he had already gotten it. Okay. But uh, there have been quite a few uh, really good training podcasts. Because he, he was um, also out there with other, with other you know, he, either he was doing his own or he was part of yours. And I was listening to his progress, um, which was fascinating, too. So all you guys were creating this great talking out loud, you know, hangar flying while, while I happened to be learning. So I got... I got totally involved in listening to what you were doing and it was great. Yeah. And I think that there's uh, there's a lot of value in listening to people who are new pilots because, uh, you know, if you've been flying for 20,000 hours, well, maybe you don't remember what it was like to uh, have trouble landing a 172 and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. there have been a, a lot of really great, uh, shows that were just beginners. And so, Hey, if there's any more beginners out there, you should give this a try. I actually got a lot of value out of talking with other people who were also learning to fly when I was uh, learning to fly myself and preparing to learn to fly. And uh, that's really what I credit with uh, being able to get my private in 42 hours was just wow. learning from all the questions and mistakes and all that sort of stuff from other people. So listening to all these podcasts was was really instrumental, and I've heard that from other people that were learning, et cetera. Uh, I came into podcasting after I had my ratings and everything, but I think that's great, and it's a wonderful service that you guys did, and, and all the podcasters, like you said, with Jack and all, and and as far as podcasting just in general, helps with people quite a bit. Uh, there's guys like, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, if you remember, uh, the the uh, what's called the new pilot pod log. Uh, with uh, Robert Sigliano. That was one of the ones about learning how to fly. And uh, I just had dinner with Robert down in D.C. Uh, not long ago. So these are years later that uh, he's he's no longer podcasting, but it was really cool. And uh, oh, I think there great. was another one out there. Larry, Larry you, there's another one that was new for new pilots. What was the name of yeah, that? Yeah, uh, well, in the Pattern Podcast, uh, for example, um, they started out all as, I think, student pilots and in the process got the ratings and then some of them moved on and got instrument ratings. Uh, and they still, you know, drop an episode now and then. Yeah, that's Come cool. on, guys. <laughs> that'd be cool to see another one that's for sure it's um, of course there was will yeah. hawkins with the uh yeah i you know i i'll i'll slaughter the name of his show because it was it was kind of awkward to yeah, say I it think, was but what was it? <laughs> that's okay uh, the student pilot flight pod log i think something like that that's the one i was just but, thinking yeah of. and he he was great because 
he went through he was actually going through his training and and had and had some rough spots there and talked about him i really give him a lot of credit because i remember listening to that you know just intently because here is someone going through it do you, you guys recall that and maybe not yeah yeah and you know what uh will's a great guy and i love talking to him any chance i can get so absolutely yeah, yeah. So, Kent, when you, you guys got started with this podcast, you actually, and I talk about you being a pioneer, and this is one of the reasons I feel uh, you are very instrumental in this whole podcast movement, because you joined the podcast, I think it was right before or right after Potapalooza. So kind of put a little clarification on that as far as when you joined. And also, there's some people maybe on the podcast that don't know what Potapalooza is. So explain when you, you actually came in and uh, what a Potapalooza is. Well, um, the first episode of the pilot cast was recorded at Oshkosh, and the first Potapalooza was the following year. So uh, we would have had uh, quite a few episodes out by the time we first did that. Um, I don't think we even called it Potapalooza the first year because there weren't a whole lot of aviation podcasts out there yet, but uh, I believe it was just the three of us from the pilot cast and Jason Miller from the finer points, which is of course another really great podcast. Um, so it was just the four of us that first time and we hadn't really planned anything in advance, but uh, that was the first year I was at Oshkosh the whole week. And so I saw the forums and I went, huh, I wonder if we can get one of those and do something. Um, so I kind of went snooping around and figured out who to talk to and got a time slot. And then we all quickly kind of spread around the web. Hey, if you can be here on Wednesday night at Oshkosh, then uh, come and join us. And so it just kind of started that way and got bigger and bigger and bigger until we didn't fit on the stage anymore. <laughs> and I think, and what's going on with, I, I'm sorry, I didn't do my research on this one. Maybe you know, the other guests can tell me, but uh, what's going on with Potapalooza now? Who's hosting it? And is it still something that's happening at, uh, at Oshkosh? Cause you know, I still haven't been to Oshkosh. Well, I believe this past summer was the first year that we haven't had Potapalooza at Oshkosh. Um, I guess there was, there was a gathering, um, but I don't know. It was a little bit different. Um, I don't think anything was recorded there this year. Interesting. Uh, interesting. Although I, I, I just kind of stopped in and I, I wasn't there for very long. There was food. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> there was food. There was beer and Jeremy, weed, Jeremiah weed. Uh, actually of course. They, we're not going to make a commitment, but I'd love to see Potapalooza happen again. And I know everybody's gonna say, Hey, let's do that. But, uh, I, unfortunately, you know, that's a, a tough time of year for me to get off, but, uh, maybe we can swing something. Uh, and the gathering of podcasters, I think that's that's a great thing to do. But we all need to get together at, at these events. Uh, and I think it's really cool. I've heard it uh, on podcasts and uh, Potapalooza and recordings and just a whole bunch of fun. That's for sure. And I think, uh, Victoria, you went to one of the Potapaloozas like three years ago. Is that right? Yeah. Gosh, it might be four now. I remember Stuck Mike was just a little baby. And <laughs> when I went, there wasn't food. Um and but there was alcohol, <laughs> and so I remember having a drink on an empty belly, and then going live Whoops. to talk about Oshkosh. And um, I know there was like live Twitter feeds on a screen, and it was a lot of fun to have um, just do it live. But I was so on the spot, and you know had worked all day, was out in the heat, and then had a little bit of alcohol. So it it definitely was amusing. <laughs> 
Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, we yeah we were just getting started. That was when uh, you know Len had just started up uh, Stuck Mike Avcast, and as a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody knows this, our our birthday's coming up in May. May 9th is actually the birthday of Stuck Mike Avcast, coming up on what is it now? Five, six years, six. Six years. Six. Uh, so, yeah. So, let's see. 11, I think, was it? Did we start in 11? Yeah. I think that was it. It's so funny. You start getting going down this road with a podcast, and, and months turn into years, and they just go by so quickly. And I know, Kent, you realize that, too. And I know you've had uh, this incredible varied background in podcasting and interviews, and you do a great job, even on some of the videos uh, that I've seen you on in, on YouTube. Some really cool guests that you've had. Like, I think you had the person from, uh, oh, what was it, uh, the the uh, was it Cirrus? I think it was uh, Clapmeyer, Alan Clapmeyer. Yeah, you had Alan. Clapp- As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, I was flying the other day over to New York, and a Vision Jet called in, and the controller was like, "Well, what's a Vision Jet?" And uh, the guy said, "Oh, it's a, a the Cirrus jet." And he started telling them how they can go 250 knots. I think it was 300 uh, uh, indicated or 350 true or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but uh, it was quite interesting to see how things have, have progressed so much. And uh, we were just Vision Jet was was just a dream back then uh, during Potapalooza. But uh, but Kent, uh, getting back to your story, I know uh, you are you know one of the first people with Potabalooza and with the podcasting movement, and you really helped bring it to the forefront. Just like a lot of these other folks that were in in the whole podcasting realm uh, back then when it was getting started. But you actually have a, a quite a varied background in aviation. Uh, so tell us tell us a little bit about uh, what you've done and how you've gone about getting your ratings. You uh, you're not just uh, right now a private. I think you got your commercial, don't you? Yeah, commercial, multi-engine instrument. So um, all the things that I would need to get a flying job if uh, things don't work out working for Larry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was... (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I keep pestering Larry to get us a, a... company airplanes so i can stay on but you know <laughs> airplanes are expensive just a little but uh you know it, it was interesting when i i heard some of your stories about uh you know moving on through your ratings and you you progress fairly quickly but you you like all of us had uh, had some challenges as far as uh doing your ratings but you you didn't actually do them all at in one spot did you you actually uh you, you seems like you really were passionate about flying. It seems like you you went out and did something unique during your your training. And I've heard that in a couple podcasts. So kind of explain that. You know how you went about your your private, your instrument, and your commercial. Well, in some ways, it just kind of all happened by chance. And uh, some of the neat things I've been able to do were as a result of being a podcaster. Um, you know, I got my private at the local FBO and. I had a great instructor, Mike Barnes, who's now flying for Delta. Um, So hi, Mike, if you're out there listening. Kind of moved on from that, started my instrument training with another instructor. Mike uh, pretty quickly moved on to the airlines, um, as many do. But uh, Mike was not one of the people who was uh, only looking at the airlines. He really was a good instructor, and, and he said that if he could make a decent buck doing instructing, he would just have kept doing that. But anyway, he really had his act together. So he moved on quickly and I did the vast majority of my instrument training, uh, with a guy by the name of Joe Berger, who was really tough. And you know, that's exactly what you want in an instrument instructor. Um, at one point he had me doing, uh, 
let's see, partial panel, unusual attitudes and actual ones. And he also had me down to magnetic compass, airspeed indicator, and number two nav in actual. <laughs> and wow. uh, that was an exercise, let me tell you. So um, now having a full panel feels like day VFR. So uh, really was valuable experience getting down to uh, just the bare bones. Um, I was thinking as you were asking the question, you know, I've never done two ratings with the same instructor. So uh, for my commercial, uh, the also internet famous Tony Condon knew that I was interested and um, I had been flying a fixed gear 182 a lot and there was not a retractable gear 182 for rent anywhere near me. But Tony was instructing in one pretty frequently out in Ames, Iowa. And he just called me up one day and said, Kent, I'm not doing anything this weekend. Come on out here. Let's finish your commercial up. So that's exactly what I did. Hopped out in my, in my car and drove out to Ames and uh, used the 182RG out there and got my commercial knocked out in, in one weekend. And then about a month later, I went to Traverse Air in Michigan and um, did my commercial multi-engine add-on in a 150-horse Apache. So that's wow. it for the ratings. That's pretty cool. I mean, at least you got this this varied background in your ratings. I, you know, I, I kind of follow the same route. I went from one place to the next to the next and did multiple states with ratings. And um, going back to something you said, uh, it it kind of it, it tripped something in my mind. You had mentioned like when your first instructors wasn't there, you know, just to instruct, you know, he and to move on to the airlines. He he actually did a great job and. It, it's funny you said that because that's isn't that the way it should be? You know, everybody should be putting their best effort forward, but uh, sometimes you know we don't, and we finally you know we we see this person that shows up at our lesson, and and you kind of know that they're they're wandering, their minds wandering off to the big shiny jet, and they're not really watching me fly or or really interested in teaching me. And and if you're an instructor that's listening right now, that's really important. You know, where you are is where you are and it's very important to do the best job you can with whatever job you're you're in at the moment. And uh, you know, because like like Kent here, he had a wonderful experience with his instructors and made that comment. And I think that's really important, Kent, isn't it? That that whoever you're flying with, whoever's teaching you, uh, is focused on you and and has you know even though you may be moving forward in your career, it's really important to uh, to instruct and do the best you can with the student in front of you. Uh, I hope you agree with that, Kent. Oh, absolutely. And you now, know, for all of the bad things that people say about instructors sometimes. And, you know, they're, they're talking about those ones who aren't focused on it and are just, you know, trying to get into the shiny jet. Uh, really, I have come across very few of those, uh, in my flying career. And I've gotten instruction in a lot of other places that I didn't necessarily get a rating. Um, like I mentioned, I used to be a truck driver. So I've gone all over the country and once in a while I would just, you know, uh, find a new place with a new type of aircraft I had never flown and have a little bit of spare time and say, well, okay, I'm going to go get checked out on that. So uh, I've been lucky enough to fly with a lot of really great instructors and only a couple that weren't really that great. So um, that's worth uh, worth mentioning as well. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Kent, because 
uh, a lot of times all we hear about is a negative in general uh, because, you know, people don't complain about a good meal, right, when they're at a restaurant. But when that meal's bad, they sure do complain, and, and a lot of times it's it's rare, uh, especially in, in certain restaurants, just like with, with aviation. You have those rarities, but they're the ones we hear about all the time. Uh, you're not going to talk about, you know, how it was the best flight ever and the smoothest flight ever. You, you usually talk about the, the problems you've had in the airplane. Uh, so, and of course, I, I think that if somebody is moving forward in their career, that's great. And there are 99 or 98% of them are, are really, really interested in helping you move forward, uh, because they realize that's, that's their professional duty to do that and, and to help you instruct at that time. Now, Kent, you, you had your, your private instrument, your multi-commercial, you have your single commercial. And then now, do you have your ATP? Are you looking to move towards some other ratings? I'd imagine you're looking for something, some new challenge. Well, you know, I took my ATP written uh, right before the rule change. And unfortunately, it expired this past summer because I just never was able to find a way to get all of the multi-engine time I needed. So... ATP probably is not in the cards for me unless I actually do find a flying job someday. Because, um, yeah, with the new rules, no. it's quite expensive. <laughs> and Larry's going to fight that tooth and nail to, to keep you on where, where you are now. Um, and the type of work you're doing now is technical, is it not? I mean, we won't disclose everything, but uh, it's more in the – is it computer-based? What, what do you do now as far as work? Yes. Well, I am a business intelligence consultant and, uh, I work for this company called solve that, um, well, your co-host Larry Overstreet is one of the owners of. So, um, and you know, I actually met Larry through aviation, so I can say that that I have my job because of aviation. Yeah. I should tell tell that story. That was, uh, (laughs) that's a fun one. Well, Several years ago, this would have been around 2010 or so. Um, well, I I still am a beta tester for ForeFlight. Uh, so the first year that ForeFlight was at Oshkosh, uh, which, yeah, it would have been 2010 because that's the year the iPad came out. And I know personally I had been looking for something like an iPad to hold approach plates for several years before that, every time I went to Oshkosh and all the products that were out there at the time were really pretty awful. Um, so when the iPad came out and ForeFlight was on it, that was what everybody had been waiting for. It seemed like, and that kind of opened up the floodgates when they had their first booth at Oshkosh that year and they were just completely overwhelmed. And so they called all of us beta testers up and said, help can you come and work at the booth because we're getting swamped. And so I worked at the four flight booth that week and I just sent out a tweet and said, Hey, if anybody is at Oshkosh, I'm working at the four flight booth, come on by and say hi. And Larry came by and said hi. And, uh, we talked for a little bit and I ended up following him on Twitter. And a few months later he said, well, now I'm hiring ClickView developers. And I said, What's that? And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard his voice from a couple of aisles over in one of the exhibit halls, and I thought, that sounds like Kent. I should go check that out. And sure enough, it was him. So, Kent, you've, you've uh, had a lot of uh, ratings that the, the average non, 
you know, uh, I don't want to say non-commercial because you have a commercial rating, but the, a person who is not flying for a living uh, oftentimes doesn't take the time or put in the effort to get the kind of ratings that you have. Um, but you tell a story sometimes about how uh, luck goes to the prepared and uh, how uh, there was a uh, particular jet pilot that needed a co-pilot one day. Yeah, I always just kind of figured, well, I'll get the commercial, I'll get the commercial multi, uh, you know, just in case if I happen to be hanging out at the airport someday and somebody says, hey, I have this Seneca I need ferried to wherever that I'd be able to do it. Yeah. So uh, I happen to be up in Cadillac, Michigan, uh, which is another thing we should talk about because it's a, another great aviation experience that I've had as a result of being a podcaster. but. Uh, suffice it to say there was a Hawker 800 on the ramp and, uh, some of the people that I had been, uh, visiting with there who had gotten to the airport before us said, Hey, uh, this poor jet pilot is looking for a first officer for his next leg. And so I did my, uh, my best roadrunner impersonation and found the captain and said, Hey, I hear you're looking for a co-pilot and. So I ended up getting to fly right seat in a Hawker 800 because I had that commercial multi. So uh, that was quite an experience. That doesn't happen to most of us. No, although I'll be honest, one of the reasons that I had thought to get the commercial multi as a just-in-case was as a result of uh, Lance Flynn, who had told his story on the pilot cast, one of the Gaston's episodes, about losing the engine in his Mooney. Uh, he happened to be hanging out at the airport one day, having just gotten his commercial multi, and somebody needed a pilot for a jet. Same sort of thing, only it was a Learjet, and it was a recurring deal. So uh, he flew in the right seat of the Learjet for a while and then uh, got typed and flew in the left seat, and I believe he's been flying some other types as well. And you know, just being in the right place at the right time, if you're prepared, it does happen. Oh, that's great. And, and you know, and sometimes being prepared doesn't uh, require getting a rating. Um, you have a variety of uh, experiences that, you know, maybe you can tell a few of these stories, too, where you... Uh, didn't have the rating necessarily, but you grab an instructor and you go for it anyway. Um, and I'm thinking of gliders and ski planes and float planes and mountain flying and probably some other things. Uh, any stories there you want to share? Well, I kind of alluded to it a minute ago, but uh, one of the things that I've been able to do uh, as a result of the podcast, uh, we had had Rick Durden, who has been a aviation writer and an aviation lawyer and, and a lot of other things, uh, among them an excellent flight instructor. And we had had him on the show uh, several times and then later had him on the CFI cast. And he just invited all three of us to come up to this gathering that he hosts in Cadillac, Michigan, twice a year, where in the middle of winter, we fly Super Cubs on skis and then in the summer, we fly them on floats, and it just so happened to be the uh, the float plane weekend when I got to fly that Hawker jet. So, um, all kinds of these things run together. But flying uh, flying airplanes on skis and floats, uh, and well, of course, any other way you can fly them is always fun. But um, 
for those of you who uh, may not be familiar with Rick, uh, he writes a really good column on AvWeb, um, and he's also written a couple of books called The Thinking Pilot's Flight Manual or How to Survive Flying Little Airplanes and Have a Ball Doing It. And one of the things that's really interesting about Rick to me is that he's an aviation lawyer, but he writes about things in ways that could potentially open him up to some liability. And so I think a lot of people are afraid to say certain things. But, for example, Rick had a really good column in the past year or so about people buzzing things. And he said, you know what? The FAA has been telling people to not buzz things forever, and people still do it, and they still kill themselves. So he wrote an article talking about what you're going to actually run into if you do buzz things. You know, the power lines you're not going to see. You know, the maneuvers that you might do that might not work so well at low altitudes and high speeds and that sort of thing. And so it's really refreshing to see him write about things like that and tackle some of those kind of taboo subjects that nobody else will. And so I really, really like reading his writing because there's just so much thought and experience that goes into it and he does a great job. So highly recommend that you check that out. Uh, you bet. You bet. Now I, I also remember you, you have a uh, tailwheel endorsement, correct? I do. And you know, that was something I got to via a very circuitous route. I had flown tailwheel airplanes with a number of different people who were flight instructors or pilots who were just being generous and allowing me to fly along with them. Um, I think by the time I got my tailwheel endorsement, I had logged time and probably 10 or a dozen different types of tailwheel aircraft, everything from the cub to an extra. Uh, and I finally ended up getting the endorsement at a Satabria, but, um, I, yeah, I've, I've done, that sort of thing quite a bit, actually. Um, I, I, th I think you have a little bit of P-51 time, too, but... Um, yes. Uh, really? Yeah. There's, there's probably a story there. Um, but before, before you do that, um, <laughs> there's uh, the time... Kent, you you uh, filled my lap full of pumpkins in a uh, Citabri, I believe it was, and made me throw them out at people. Yes. So uh, I was a member for... A period of time at a great little flying club called the Greencastle Aero Club. And this is just south of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And they have their own airport. Really cool little place. And it's got to be some of the cheapest flying around anywhere. Um, so anyone who lives in that area should check out the Greencastle Aero Club. But one of the things that they do is right after Thanksgiving, or right after Halloween, rather, when everybody has a bunch of excess pumpkins, they have a pumpkin bombing competition. And so uh, Larry and I and, and Peter Von Treskow, we all flew out to Greencastle in the Diamond Star, and then we hopped in the, well, just Larry and I, uh, hopped in the, sorry, the Citabria. And yeah, we threw some pumpkins out the window and missed by a mile, but it was a lot of fun. He told me when to let go. <laughs> yeah. The, the <laughs> safest place to stand in a pumpkin bombing competition is on the target. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody hit it the whole day. I don't think anybody got within a hundred feet. 
Well, speaking of bombing, how about you just mentioned a P-51? Did you flew a, a Mustang? I did. How did you get to do that? That sounds like a cool story. Tell us that real quickly. Well, you know, how did you get to do that? As with everything else in aviation, I dropped a big pile of money. <laughs> Ain't that but true? But yeah, CAF is uh, Commemorative Air Force, of course, is the group that has pretty much all the warbirds that you can do this in. Um, and of course, I think most of us are familiar with uh, aluminum overcast, the B-17, um, and some of the other aircraft. Of course, aluminum overcast is owned by EAA, but offers rides at Oshkosh. Uh, there are some other uh, CAF planes that will come to Oshkosh each year. Uh, and, of course, they tour around the country. And so it, no matter where you are, you can probably get a ride in some kind of cool old warbird at some point. But uh, this was the Red Nose P-51, uh, which is owned by the Dixie Wing of the CAF. And they were in Oshkosh, and uh, they are actually giving rides out of Fond du Lac. So uh, I dropped my big pile of money, and I had rented three GoPros. So I do have some video footage of this that will make its way onto the Internet at some point. Um, and man, what a cool airplane. Uh, it's actually one of the very rare dual control P-51s. So it wasn't just a ride. I actually got to fly it some. And that thing flew like a dream. Uh, just beautifully harmonized controls. You ask the airplane what you want it to do, and it just does it. Uh, didn't seem to have any bad habits at all, uh, beyond, of course, the things that you would expect from a single-engine airplane with a giant engine on it, giant prop, and lots of torque. Um, you know, once you got it in the air, it was just amazing. Well, cool. That's uh, one of the bonuses to being a member of a commemorative Air Force and also uh, getting out there and, and doing those rides. You can actually pay for a ride, and it helps uh, keep that living history alive. Uh, and, you know, we all become stewards of those aircraft when we go out there and and plunk our money down and and go fly those. And I, I think that's really cool. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of experiences uh, like that out there, but you have to find them. You have to go out to the air shows. And that's another thing that seems like you love to do is get out to the air shows, uh, especially, obviously, up in the Oshkosh. Um, but well, you know, something things- Rick said to me, uh, I believe it might have even been on the show at some point, uh, He's the one that actually hooked me up with this this opportunity. He knows some of the guys who fly that airplane, and um, he said how much it cost, and I went, "Whew, man, that is a ton of money." And then he said, "You know, in our lifetime, there will be no more flying P fifty ones." And I went, uh, "Yeah, now that you put it like that, you know, it's a bucket list thing." But I think. All too often, there are people who have things on their bucket list and they wait too long and they don't get to do them. Um, I think just flying is one of those things for a lot of people. It's one of those things that I think a lot of people want to do and they just kind of never get around to it or they don't really know how or whatever. And so it just kind of ends up being one of those things that they get old and they never did do it. So um, I'm really glad that I was given that perspective because it was a lot of money. It kind of hurt for a while there, but it was well worth it. You know, a lot of people say that they they really would love to put that uh, that item, check that off on their bucket list of flying. 
but it tends to be too expensive. And, uh, you know, one of the ways to stave off those costs are actually, I feel one of the best ways, and, and I'd like to hear what you think, is to join a club, join a flying club. And you don't actually, in many clubs, have to actually be a pilot. Uh, they Some accept student pilots, some accept uh, associate members, etc. But I think that to get that off your bucket list, just go out and hang out and find out if there is a flying club. Now, now speaking of flying clubs, and I knew you were a member of a flying club, but I think you're a little bit, uh, as I found out today, that you're a little more involved in, in just going out and flying. So first of all, as far as flying clubs are concerned, I feel they're a great way to save money and to have this incredible camaraderie with other people, like-minded people that are into aviation. I like to, to what your feelings are as far as flying clubs and, and why people should consider it. If you're listening and you're not flying it, why you should consider a flying club? Well, to everything you just said, I would say absolutely. Um, you know, I think a lot of people they will rent to get their private. And then they kind of don't know what to do because you want to maybe take an airplane somewhere for a weekend, but there's lessons scheduled in it and you can't. And, you know, availability becomes a big problem. And at a lot of FBOs, you have to spend a certain number of hours flying each day that you have the airplane or they just charge you for them anyway. Um, so I think a lot of people really quickly discover that renting is not necessarily the greatest way to be able to keep going with your flying career and to, uh, to travel and to get some of those other benefits out of GA. So I think flying clubs are an awesome next step for everybody. You know, even if you're going to own an airplane someday, a flying club is a great next step once you've got your private and you're you're kind of done with the renting scene. Um, there are a lot of flying clubs out there that offer similar airplanes that are just maybe cheaper on an hourly basis. Uh, so like you mentioned, some flying clubs will allow you to train in their airplanes. Uh, others will just offer you the opportunity of being able to have an airplane that's a little more available to go on trips maybe airplanes that are a little faster or otherwise aren't available for rent. Um, and it's just a, a great way to kind of uh, transition into ownership if you're going to own an airplane someday. If you don't have the money to own an airplane someday or you don't think you will, then a flying club is a great final stop as well. So, um, yeah, I think flying clubs are great. So how does someone find a flying club and and also – Say you don't fly yet. Is there uh, any opportunity for them to join? I know. Uh, tell us a little bit about your flying club that you're involved with. As a matter of fact, uh, we put this out on Twitter. And just uh, just got this in right now. And a, a shout out to uh, Dan Coyne, I think is how you say his name, uh, who's uh, involved. I think in the Capital City Flyers uh, says hi. And he uh, obviously this is the the club that you're involved with, and was mentioning that you're actually the president of this flying club. So that must entail quite a bit of work but uh but to go back to my question you know what do you what do you do i mean how do you get people involved in a flying club well um i would say if you're a person who's interested in a flying club that there's a few different things you can do uh aopa of course has the flying club network um i don't think that they're necessarily putting as many resources into that as they used to which is kind of unfortunate but it does exist and i believe they have a way to search for flying clubs there uh, you know, you can use Google. Uh, we've had some people who just found us on Google. 
Um, you know, they were looking for a particular type of aircraft that we have, or they just Googled for flying clubs, Madison or something like that. And, and our website came up. Um, there are also plenty of groups that are maybe not big enough that they have a website or that they go out looking for new members. Uh, you know, some of them are just small ownership groups with three or four people who own an airplane. So just going to your local airport and asking around and, you know, looking for some signs on the bulletin board and that sort of thing is, is also something that everybody should do, especially if you can't find something using one of those other methods. You know, the, the other thing, in all fairness to ALPA, I think I found it here. They do have that flying club resource still. Uh, I guess they put it into their community folders, and uh, they have, they still have that online directory. And I think that's part of that, that, that go fly thing that they're doing, the you can fly type of thing. Uh, because I, I know, who was it, uh, Jamie Beckett was involved in helping people learn how to put together a club and how to start a flying club. And uh, we've also seen yeah. them in uh, in Arcadia actually start up a flying club uh, right in Arcadia, Florida. So, so they're they're still around, uh, and but they move that directory to a different place. Uh, which, as a matter of fact, what I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes as to where they can find your that directories to help people out. Uh, but I personally, I really think clubs are awesome. I mean, they they are one way. You know, you can get into and and one way you can actually have a, a wonderful experience with a lot of the people socially, but also go out there and fly. And uh, sure beats uh, the golf course. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for that one, but uh, <laughs> I really, I really think that one of the ways that we can really reach out to more people is through those clubs. Now, now, Kent, you're actually the president of the club, so you actually that entails just about everything. You have to schedule aircraft, I guess, and and make sure the maintenance is done, et cetera. So, so what, what, you know, tell us a little bit about that experience and the challenges there. Well, I'm really lucky to have a great board of directors to work with. Uh, you mentioned Dan Coyne before. Dan is is our treasurer, and and he does a phenomenal job, and so. He handles the monthly billing and, and everything related to money, so I don't have to worry about that. Uh, we also have a maintenance officer on our board who handles scheduling all of the maintenance and taking care of squawks and that sort of stuff. Uh, in fact, I mentioned him already, Peter Von Treskow. Um, he's another uh, glider pilot who's in Larry's Glider Club as well. So Yeah. Um, there are lots of kinds of flying clubs. Not there all are. require engines. That's right. <laughs> I'm glad you chimed in on that because there's many different clubs that you can join and and different organizations that may not even have airplanes, but uh, will get you hooked up with with people that fly and uh, different aviation organizations out there. Uh, even, you know, the commemorative Air Force, et cetera. Uh, they it, it's really an incredible community, this flying community, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, you know, Kent, we're kind of getting towards the end here, uh, close to the end of the show. There is something I, I want to ask you, though, as far as, you know, with with your podcasting. Let's let's just talk about that. What do you can you just look back and think about the most memorable experience as a podcaster? Maybe the thing that you were able to do that uh, you know you never would have been able to do, or maybe a person that you met that you never would have been able to meet uh, if it wasn't for this podcasting and, uh, and this new, uh, you know, medium that we have now that has become actually, you know, the norm in our lives. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. You know, what, think about that. What was something there or some person that you got to meet something that would never have happened without podcasting? Well, you know, I have met 
so many great people through both aviation and podcasting. Um, and I don't think I can pick one out as being the best ever because, uh, there are just so many, um, you know, if you look at it, I owe my livelihood right now to aviation podcasting, <laughs> um, cause I never would have met Larry without it. Um, I have already mentioned Rick Durden as being somebody who I've gotten to have lots of great opportunities with and, and learned a lot from him. Um, there, there are just so many of those things that I don't know that I can pick out just one. Um, and that's okay. I mean, there, like you just said, I mean, there's there's so many experiences that we have, and so many varied people. You know, Alan Klatmeyer that you got to interview, and I saw that on there. All the the mission flying that we have is uh, actually uh, I'll mention it now is our our video of the week. It's the pilot cast video you did at Oshkosh in 2011 with Jars, uh, which was kind of cool. That I never understood what Jars stood for, and now I can't. Something aircraft radio or whatever. But that was that was really neat. That interview. But one of the things that that's really neat about about Kent is uh, is the fact that you actually take a different stance on aviation. Uh, you know, you don't really just go up and drill holes in the sky. It seems that you've actually, as Larry likes to put it, have a, a mission for flying. You you go out there and and you take it upon yourself to to make it a mission to make flying more enjoyable. I know there's people listening right now. That maybe flying, even though it's their hobby, has somehow become somewhat maybe mundane. It seems like I'm doing the same hundred dollar hamburger, et cetera. You know, what would you say to that person? You know, what is it? How do you do that? How do you figure out a way to make flying enjoyable and varied in your life? And and speak to the to the audience on that one. Well, you know, I've been there myself. I got my private, I got my instrument. I kind of started flying around on trips and I kind of got a little bit bored. Um, I think maybe everybody gets to that point, And I think a lot of people who haven't had some of these opportunities I've talked about today will get to that point. And I've seen a lot of people get to that point. Uh, you know, I used to work, uh, the line at an airport when I was in college and I would see people, very often coming in to get their private and they'd take their check ride and then you would just never see them again. Um, which is really sad. Um, I think that you kind of have to go out and find new things. And luckily the podcast really helped me to do that. So I started out higher, farther, faster, kind of like everybody else wants to, uh, you know, I, I always thought it would be cool to own a Baron before I learned to fly. Um, but then once I got into a slightly faster airplane and did a couple of trips, eh, there were, there were some times where I just, I didn't feel the passion anymore. And then luckily I've met people like Rick and gotten to fly little yellow fabric airplanes on skis in the middle of winter in Michigan. And that was great fun. Uh, my friend Chip Gibbons, who owned an extra 300 at the time, stuck me in the front seat and we really went and drilled some holes in the sky. Um, he taught me how to do loops and rolls and hammerheads and man, that is great fun. Um, so I've, I've gotten to have some opportunities that really kind of reignited that love of flying. And now I've kind of come full circle. I, I fly in the, the club and I fly a Mooney and I, 
go places. And that's really the main thing that I do with aviation. But, uh, because I've had some of these other experiences that kind of reignited the passion and, and really, uh, let me keep loving flying where I had been a little bit bored with it for a while. Um, another thing that I've done that was probably the best experience for that sort of thing was I took a mountain flying course out in McCall, Idaho. Uh, if you go to mountaincanyonflying.com, there's, uh, an instructor out there, Lori McNichol, who has several other experienced mountain instructors working for her. And you go out there and you fly into some of the coolest little backcountry airstrips, um, after you've learned a few things, of course, but that one was both challenging from a flying perspective, as well as just extremely rewarding to land in just some of the most beautiful places there are on this planet. And you can't get there any other way than in a little airplane. Um, so highly recommend that, uh, if somebody is looking for an activity to do, <laughs> That right there, I think, is is one of the things that appeals to me as an air a pilot, no matter what, and an airline pilot or somebody who's flying a single engine airplane, is that it it enables me to get to places that I never would have been able to see any other way. It's it truly becomes more than just flying. It becomes somewhat of that magic carpet where you're taking that ride to somewhere to some incredible destination that you may have only dreamed of in the past. And to be able to view these incredible landscapes and to be able to share that with other people, to to find islands in the middle of the Bahamas and fly to the to these incredible azure waters and and bright, bright beaches of, of crystal white sand and to be able to see the snow in the mountains and, and go flying into some of these glaciers, et cetera. Those are the type of things that are that are incredible and I'd really challenge people. I know Kent would too, and all of us here at Stuck My Calfcast would is challenge people to to get out there and do something new if you're getting bored. Uh, with aviation, but we all do at times. We all get there, and uh, we get a little burnout, etc. But Kent's a great example of of actually reigniting the passion of aviation, but reigniting it over and over and over again. And I think that's really, really important. But gosh, Kent, uh, you know, I, we could sit here and talk for hours about all your experiences, and love to have you on again. But uh, before before we head out. Uh, it, you know, as far as people listening right now, where can they find you uh, on the internet? And uh, maybe it's Facebook or Twitter. Uh, and uh, if they have any questions about anything you talked about, because you threw out a lot of websites there, and we'll try to put some of those links out there. Well, I'm on Twitter at Flying Cheesehead with a Z. So Flying C H E E Z Head uh, wouldn't fit in the 15 character limit for a username otherwise, but. Um, <laughs> So that's uh, that's probably the best place cool. for people to find me. Uh, I don't send out a whole lot of tweets, but if I see something sent to me, I'll definitely respond. Um, awesome. So now that we're done with the intro of the show, what are we going to talk about next? <laughs> well, for the next hour, uh, we're going to discuss uh, other <laughs> other things about aviation, such as your medical, etc. As a matter of fact, what, that was one of the cool things about the pilot cast, and that's another place I wanted to send people to to check it out. Uh, some of the old episodes, there's some really cool information in there, uh, and some you know an AME yet yet you had on the show. I can't remember his name at this point, but uh, he was really Dr. cool to Bruce have. Doctor Chen, he's that's. Uh, one of the best uh, people come from all over the country because uh, 
he just really knows the process of of getting those more difficult medicals through. Um, and boy, I hope when I need help from somebody like that, that there's still someone like him around. Um, and of course, you can find him, I think, at aeromedicaldoc.com. Awesome. Another link we'll have to put in the show notes. Well, Ken, I hope you, uh, you'll come back and, and we'll talk some more aviation. I know we have a lot more to talk about. We could talk for hours and hours on uh, not only what you've done, but also some of the amazing things about the aviation world that, that maybe a lot of people don't realize are out there. And, uh, and you've made you know, you've brought it into us. We brought it uh, the passion for, for aviation back. We can tell just through your voice and through the things that you've done. Uh, what a varied background you have. And, uh, you know, we really, you know, wish you luck as as a matter of fact, before we close, quickly, where what's next, Kent? What's what's the next rating? What do you or what are you going to fly next? Well, the next rating would probably be either CFI or uh, airplane single engine C. Not sure yet. I think the uh, single engine C would be a little easier, require less of a time com- commitment to get it, but um, definitely both things that I've been talking about for a while. <laughs> um, what? Well, I- so that's probably the next rating. As far as the next airplane, um, boy, I don't know. Uh, you know, I've kind of always liked the Globe Swift, but I don't think you can rent those anywhere. But uh, if Larry gives me a huge raise and I can buy another airplane, then uh, that's probably the, the next thing that I would go out and get for myself. <laughs> Only if you give me a ride. Oh, absolutely. It's a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, gosh, uh, you know, Kent, it's been awesome, and I think I think you'd be an awesome CFI uh, just just because you you teach us so much through these uh, the podcasts and taught us even today, and it's been wonderful having you on, and also uh, for the for from the rest of us from all the co-hosts here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, it's just been a pleasure having Kent Shook, the one of the the aviation podcast pioneers. I know there's others out there, but but Kent, uh, you did definitely take it to another level. Uh, along with your other co-hosts, and and we really appreciate that. It kept the passion going in, uh, with many of us here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, and it's been so wonderful having you on. And if you're listening today cool. and you're somebody that wants to to go out and, and fly and, and learn about more about the passion of flying, check out Kent on, on the, uh, the website. And Kent, uh, I hope you come back. Yeah, well, I greatly appreciate everything you just said, and, and I guess the only thing I want to say is – there's nothing special about me, people. Any one of you can do any of the things that I talked about today. All you have to do is go and do it. So, uh, you know, if you haven't flown in a while, get back in that left seat. Uh, if there's, if, if you've gotten to the point where you don't have that passion anymore, go find something that's fun to fly. Uh, you know, there are so many great opportunities out there. Uh, that I've done, and there's many more great opportunities out there that I haven't taken advantage of yet. I mean, you can go and get aerobatic instruction with Sean Tucker. You know, there are so many different things that are out there, so many possibilities. All you have to do is just go do it. So get out there, go do it. And with that, Kent, from myself and the rest of us here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, we really love having you on and hope to have you in the future on it. But Like Ken said, go out there and do something and uh, reignite that passion for aviation. Well, folks, from myself and also the rest of the co-hosts here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, we'll talk to you next episode and safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. 
Members of the Stock Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.